admit something to you. Um, I probably had the most difficult time putting this sermon together for this weekend than I have of any other sermon that I've preached since I came here to Bethany last July. I don't know exactly what the hang-up was. Well, I figured it out, but I I didn't know exactly what the hang-up was, but just nothing seemed to really be fitting together. I had done all of this, this work, pouring through the the, the, the Bible reading from, from 1 Peter chapter 2 and, and had even gone digging in the, the New Testament Greek language to find even more cool images. I had all these notes laid out, but as I was trying to put it together, it just felt like nothing was clicking. And I was starting to get really, really frustrated as I was spending hours and futile hours on all of this. I scrapped my first attempt, and then the next day I scrapped my second attempt. And when I shut my computer lid angrily and walked away, I asked myself, what is the deal? What's the hang-up here? Like, why, why can't I figure this out? And then all of a sudden, like an epiphany from heaven or something, the answer came to me. I realized that I was focused on the suffering of the wrong party in these verses. And as I read through these uh, verses that that we're going to be chewing over in our message today, I want you to take a guess as to whose suffering I was so focused on. So we're going to read here, starting at uh, chapter 2, verse 19. For it is commendable if someone bears up under the pain of unjust suffering because they are conscious of God. But how is it to your credit if you receive a beating for doing wrong and endure it? But if you suffer for doing good and you endure it, this is commendable before God. To this you were called because Christ suffered for you, leaving you an example that you should follow in his steps. He committed no sin and no deceit was found in his mouth. When they hurled their insults at him, he did not retaliate. When he suffered, he made no threats. Instead, he entrusted himself to him who judges justly. He himself bore our sins in his body on the cross so that we might die to sins and live for righteousness. By his wounds you have been healed. For you were like sheep going astray, but now you have returned to the shepherd and overseer of your souls. So what's your guess? Whose suffering was I primarily focused on as I was putting together attempts one and attempt two, I was focused primarily on the suffering of the sheep, us. And that's a very natural, very human thing to do, I think, right? We like to kind of put the microscope generally on our own lives. And when it seems like we are in a season of life where there, is, uh, where there are a lot of problems, all these different ways that life just doesn't seem to be going quite right, it's very easy for these things to become blown up and and very magnified in our minds. In fact, there are some points uh, when the the, the pain and the problems seem so great and so plentiful that maybe we see very little but the sufferings. Well, it's important for us to once again take note of of Peter's original audience when he wrote this letter because Peter was writing to people who were suffering. Christians around the Roman Empire were suffering unjust persecutions at the hands of the government and the people around them at this time. 
suffering for their faith, suffering for godliness and righteousness in ways that 21st century Americans like you and me probably can't really even begin to fathom. Now, Peter, he doesn't dismiss the suffering or make light of it. He doesn't pretend like it's all illusory or act like it's all a matter of perception. And yet, Peter does not put the primary focus on the suffering of those people. Instead, he shines the spotlight on the suffering of Christ, on the, on the suffering of his and their good shepherd. It's in seeing his suffering then that we can be, begin to view our own suffering a bit better and a bit more properly. And that's really our, our first key point this afternoon. The suffering of the sheep is reframed by the suffering of the shepherd. As we see the suffering of Christ in it, we find a, a context, a purpose, even a, a goal for sheep who suffer themselves. So let's put the main focus where it belongs. And in order to do that, I want to start out here by, by asking you a question. Was the suffering of Jesus just or unjust? I think the initial reaction of just about anybody, except maybe for the most acrimonious hater of Christianity, would probably be to say that Jesus' suffering was very unjust, right? After all, when we see his life in the Gospels, what, what, what's the kind of person that we find? I mean, he's somebody who always had time for anybody who came to him, even the ones that the rest of society would have considered unimportant and insignificant. He showed love and concern for everybody. He never spoke a, a single hateful word to another person. We see all these miracles, miracles that he was constantly performing, not for himself, but for other people, healing the sick, raising the dead. As to his, his moral conduct, Peter reminds us he committed no sin and no deceit was found in his mouth. And yet what was his reward for a godliness that far exceeds anything you and I could ever bring to the table? He was called a devil and kicked out of the synagogue. The most powerful leaders among his people schemed against him. They had him illegally arrested and brought to an illegal trial. Jesus found himself mocked, beaten, flogged by crude and cruel men. Ultimately, then he was also sentenced to death by crucifixion by power-hungry and ethically starved rulers. Certainly, when we consider the human element involved in his suffering, I think we would all have to say that it was tremendously unjust, right? And yet, at the very same time, there was a suffering of perfect justice going on as he suffered at the hand of his perfectly just father. And this is what Peter is pointing us toward when he says that he, Jesus himself, bore our sins in his body on the cross. You see, sometimes sheep like you and me can become so focused on the suffering that we don't feel we deserve. We very easily lose sight of a far greater suffering that we did deserve. You see, sheep 
like you and me, we're, we're created to, to love and, and to willingly listen to and even run after our shepherd's voice. And yet the reality is that we are all sheep who have rebelled. We are sheep who have gone wandering after every path of sin, who have little time for the shepherd and little concern for his commands. And as a result, understand that what we deserve is only to suffer. Justice says that we deserve to be apart from the flock of God, cut off from his green pastures and his quiet waters. We don't deserve a cup that is overflowing with joy and blessing, but a cup that is overflowing with the wrath of God over our very sin. We deserve not to be pursued by goodness and mercy all the days of our lives, but to be dogged by fear and hopelessness all the days of eternity. And so if you are intent on focusing on your suffering, at least focus on this. The suffering that you deserved, but that you never ever have to taste. And why? Because our good shepherd loves sheep so much that he took all of our sin and in doing so took all the wounds of our justice upon himself. That very proper and necessary wrath of God over all the evil and all the wickedness of this world, he made it his own. Even to the point of being forsaken for the sheep who so much loved to wander. And what then do those wounds mean for you and me? What, what do those wounds of the good shepherd accomplish? Nothing less than your perfect healing. As that good shepherd has sought you out and brought straying sheep back into his flock, into the flock of God, it means that you don't have to feel lost and alone, hopeless or helpless any longer. Jesus' death and resurrection mean that we are returned to the good shepherd who is also the overseer and caretaker of our very souls. You are a part of the flock of God. You get to consume his food as you consume the word and the sacraments. You get to drink in that life-giving water that comes from the living God and is yours through, through your connection of faith to him. It means that even when our bodies, the bodies of weak and feeble sheep like us perish, that we still have life and we have it to the full under that shepherd who is the protector of your souls. And where does this shepherd lead you and me? What is his ultimate goal? We're going to get to that in just a couple of minutes. But first, we need to take a look again at the present suffering of the sheep. Yes, Peter puts the focus on the suffering of the good shepherd, but he also speaks about you and me and our suffering and the things that we endure in this life. And that means that we should speak about that too. And I'm going to do that by, well, telling you a story of a man named Ken. Um, Ken was a devout Christian, and at work he was the, the sort who just 
made his faith open and apparent to everyone, not in a, a, an in-your-face abrasive kind of way, but just in the sense that he let his light shine in his words and in his actions. Well, one day Ken found himself up for a promotion, kind of on the short list with only a couple of other people. And Ken knew very well that he was the best one for the job. He had the most experience. He had been with the company the longest. He was the one who also had the greatest skill in his department. The other people up for the promotion with him, they were the ones who would come to him for help. And yet Ken was passed over for that promotion in favor of somebody with less experience and less know-how. You see, there was a woman on that, uh, on that promotion committee uh, who was an avowed atheist and who had always kind of had it out for Ken. And he felt very certain that that was the single reason why he did not receive that promotion. And when that happened, it, it just kind of rocked him. It seemed so backward, so senseless, that he should have to suffer like this for the sake of godliness, for the sake of, of, of being a faithful member of God's flock. And maybe you found yourself in a similar situation at, at some point in your life. Suffering not for the sake of doing something sinful or stupid, right? Then you kind of deserve to suffer. But suffering as a direct result of your faith and righteousness. Like maybe there's that family member who still despises you because you gently and lovingly stood up for what God says concerning marriage and sexuality. Or maybe it happened to you at work. Maybe the boss did give you the pink slip or at least hindered your advancement in the company. Why? Because you refused to go into the office on Sunday mornings because at that time, well, that was your day of worship. Maybe it was even at the hands of another Christian who was digging their heels in over some legalistic sticking point that they had, something that God never commanded in his word, and yet they were giving you a really hard time and putting you down because you instead stood on your Christian freedom that you have in the gospel. And when it happened to you, maybe, maybe you felt like Ken did, that it was just so backward and senseless and, and utterly unfair to you that you should have to suffer for the sake of Christ. Well, Peter in these verses actually says that not only isn't it senseless, but that it actually makes perfect sense. You see, where the shepherd goes, the sheep follow. If you've ever seen a shepherd leading the flock from one pasture or place to another, you'll see that those sheep, they, they follow where the shepherd goes. They follow, as Peter says, in his footsteps. If the shepherd goes over a bridge, the sheep go over a bridge. If the shepherd travels across some hard, scrabble, unfriendly plot of land, the sheep are right there behind him. And so also, if your good shepherd Jesus suffers, it also stands to reason that the sheep who follow him will follow him in a degree of that suffering as well. In fact, in verse 21, Peter says that that is the exact thing to which you have been called as his sheep. In John 15, on the night of Jesus' arrest and his first trial 
at the hands of the Jewish leaders. He was speaking with his disciples, and here's what he said to them. A servant is not greater than his master. If they persecuted me, they will persecute you also. Really, sheep should only be surprised if it doesn't happen. This world is hostile to God, and that means that it is going to be hostile to the people of God and to the message of God that his people bring. It shouldn't come as a shock. We should actually fully expect that so that we are not caught off guard. Now, all of this might seem a little bit like the fly in the ointment of Christianity, like the the dark, unpleasant side of it all, the frustrating obligation that we drag our heels and sigh through. But I got to say that that idea and that attitude is very hard to reconcile with what Jesus says in Matthew 5 in his Sermon on the Mount as he is preaching to his disciples these Beatitudes. He says, Blessed are you, when people insult you, persecute you, and falsely say all kinds of evil against you because of me, rejoice and be glad because great is your reward in heaven. Did you get that? To suffer for Christ means that you are blessed. Even more than that, that our spirits ought to rejoice and be glad in it. You see, God is so good and he is so full of love for you and me that he even uses something like suffering, even the suffering that is inflicted upon you and me by evil people who do not care for us or care for him. He even uses our suffering for his sake, our suffering for righteousness, for our own advantage as he reminds us through this that we are indeed the sheep of the good shepherd, that we are children of a father, and that that means we are heirs of a much better country than this weed-choked bad land that we call this world and this life. Where the shepherd goes, the sheep follow, yes, in his suffering, but then also because Jesus lives, it means we also follow in his resurrection, and in life. And the very person who wrote this letter, 1 Peter, the apostle that we call Peter, Simon Peter, he learned all about this in his life. You see, he was not just writing empty words to these people. No, he was somebody who very much so put his money where his mouth was. Three times in the early years of the Christian Church of Jerusalem, at least three times, he was arrested. One time he was let go without any further punishment. Another time he was flogged. The third time he was actually sentenced to die. Only by a miracle did he escape that death sentence, but it only meant that in his later years of life, he became a forced expatriate far from the home and country of his birth. And then Peter would be arrested one more time. He would again be sentenced to die. And this time, sentence against him would be carried out. And yet in it all, Peter knew he was blessed. 
which is maybe why in verses 19 and 20, he used the Greek word charis. What we see there is the English word commendable in the Greek very simply means grace or gift. Peter saw this grace and saw this gift of suffering in his suffering because he did not put the focus on his own suffering. Rather, he put that spotlight and shone it on the far greater and far better suffering of his Savior Jesus. He knew that he was blessed with a good shepherd whose blood covered over every one of his sins, whom he had seen risen from the dead. And because of this, Peter was even willing to suffer, yes, even willing to die. Because he knew what that Savior's death and resurrection meant for him. An end one day to his own suffering and the resurrection of his own body. And not only his, but the resurrection of all the sheep. You and me and all believers. A resurrection into those verdant pasture lands of heaven. And into that life life to the full with our God. Rejoice, brothers and sisters. Rejoice, sheep of that risen shepherd, Jesus. Even in your sufferings, rejoice. For these only mean that your own resurrection is near at hand. Amen. Amen.